Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Amen. Thank you for being here. God is good. Sometimes we just got to go on record saying that. Amen. Just let the heavens know, let the enemy know, no matter what's coming, because we don't know what's coming, do we? That's why we have to take advantage of this opportunity in this house this week, today, to say, Lord, you're good. Lord, you're good. I'm going on record today as saying that you're good. Even when things get bad, he's still good. Amen. I want to talk in that vein today. I'm going to endeavor to get done before 10 and uh, try to get through our passage. Uh, Last week, we began Vision Month talking about it's time to go forward. Did you you enjoy that message? Did it register with you? Have you thought about it this week? I hope you have. Awesome. If you haven't, go back and listen to it again. God's, God's calling us and directing us down a path that is a path of impact. And uh, today we're going to take the next step. I'm, I'm very much a, a methodical leader. I'm a methodical person. I, I believe that things need to be clearly outlined and step by step. Amen? I don't like charging into the dark. You know what I'm saying? I want my flashlight. I want my gear. I want to know what's ahead. And so um, I think God operates that way if we allow him to. Lots of people don't allow him to, and they call it spirituality. Right? They try to be super spiritual, and they just, we're going to trust God. Yeah. Okay, but did you seek God? Did you ask him before you charged ahead? What if he was saying, no, don't do it? What if three doors shut and you ignored it because you thought it was the devil? Amen? So we've got to have our discernment high. We've got to have our, our uh, ears open to hear what God has for us. So uh, this is the next incremental step, okay? We're going to take steps over the next few weeks. We're going to be in Exodus 32. Uh, today we're going to continue in the vein of the Exodus. Last week we talked about uh, the Red Sea crossing and how that God had made a way through the Red Sea, and that way was unknown to the people of Israel. It was unknown to their adversaries, the Egyptians, but it was known to God. And because God had built that way, that path, He promises to uphold any path that He builds. And not only does He promise to uphold the path, but He promises to uphold those who walk His path. Amen? Those are paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's not going to lead you down a path of righteousness for his namesake and then let you fall and be utterly cast down. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that for your house. He's not going to do that for this house. He's not going to lead us down a path where we are going to fall into every trap and, and wound and experience that the enemy has for us. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that that's the case. So, um, because we're on God's path, we have to then move ahead in the way that he has for us to go. So that's what we're doing. Exodus 32 verse 1 says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in, your, in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from their hands and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into a cast metal calf. 
And they said, This is your God, Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Woo. So the next day they got up early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and got up to engage in lewd behavior. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have behaved corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a cast metal calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Whoa. What a turnaround. What a turnaround. I want to talk to you this morning about going forward in worship. Going forward in worship. It's time to go forward, but it's time to go forward in worship. All right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, to maximize your word in our life right now. Open our ears to hear. Open our hearts to receive this good seed of the word. God, let our minds be upon it. Lord, let us dwell upon it as we leave this place. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Since we are on that path that God has built for us, we have to expect that God's going to bring those things that he intends for us. And I told you last week, I said at the altar time, in the 11 o'clock I said at the altar time, I'm sorry I didn't say it here, I don't think. But I mentioned last week that the Lord has been pressing upon me to ask for um, ridiculous restitution, an absurd amount of souls against our adversary, amen? That as we move into this time that God is calling us to, that we experience a harvest on an unprecedented scale. Amen. That we experience a harvest that is Christ-centered, that is gospel-proclaiming, that advances His kingdom. All right? That there's a harvest that is coming with our name on it. It's a harvest that has been promised for 30 years. It's a harvest that is going to include every generation. It's going to include people you know. It's going to include people you like and love and people you don't like and don't love. But it's a harvest that God is bringing, that God's sending our way. And because of that, we have to be in a position as a people to do our part to facilitate what God wants to do. Does that make sense? We have to be in a position to facilitate what God wants to do. Lots of folks read Exodus 32 And they immediately, because of Hollywood and the old movie, The Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston and all that, they immediately think that that happened right after the crossing of the Red Sea. But did you know that's not the case? The crossing of the Red Sea was Exodus chapter 14. This event is Exodus chapter 32. That's a lot of chapters. There's a lot of things that happened. It was not even just days. It was months. Months from the time that they had crossed over in the way that God had uh, done for them. And they crossed over. And they experienced a lot of amazing things. They didn't just fall into idol worship immediately. They didn't just fall back into a position of, oh, let's worship the Egyptian god of, you know, whatever the cow was. I think it was Horus or something. But they didn't just immediately fall back into that. They had actually gotten to the other side of the Red Sea. And Exodus 15 is a beautiful chapter if you ever want to read it. It's called the Song of Moses. And they sing this beautiful psalm unto God about how he had brought them out and all the great things that he had done for them in bringing them out of Egypt. They had experienced the first taste of manna in between the Red Sea and the, and the golden calf. Isn't that fascinating? 
They had seen manna fall from the heavens and mass on the ground and collect it so they could boil it and eat it and been sustained by it. That happened, and then they still worshiped a golden calf. They had experienced, they wanted some meat, so God sent a massive flock of quail into their camp. And they lived off of that meat for a while. He brought them to an oasis that was unknown to them because they were looking for good water. They'd found bitter water, but he brought them to a place of good water. They'd fought the Amalekites. And they'd won a battle because Aaron and Hur were up on the mountain holding up the arms of Moses. So they'd already seen supernatural occurrences since the Red Sea. Not to mention the Red Sea. Not to mention the ten plagues in Egypt. These are all the same people. They'd seen all of this. Months go by, and then this event happens in Exodus 24, where God makes an appointment with Moses and Joshua, Aaron, his two sons, and 70 elders in Egypt, or in Israel, I'm sorry. And he says to the the people, he says, all right, the people, you guys stay at the base of the mountain, but you, Aaron, Moses, your, your sons, Joshua, the 70 elders, you all come up and have lunch with me. It's one of the coolest encounters in the entire Bible, I think. Because it, it says that they saw the feet of God. It wasn't just Moses seeing it. Like, we can understand why Moses saw God. He was amazing, right? We kind of deify Moses sometimes. But these 70 elders saw the feet of God. And when God's feet touched the mountain, the floor or the ground of the mountain underneath his feet turned into a paved work of sapphire as blue as the sky. Then the glory of God descends upon the mountain. And this cloud and this this fire, all this stuff descends upon the mountain within feet of these elders. And then a voice speaks out of the mountain and says, you all stay here. Moses, come on up. I'm paraphrasing. And Moses walks into that cloud. And from Exodus 24 to Exodus 32, for 40 days and nights, Exodus 24 to 32 explains all that God tells Moses. God's given Moses instructions. He's saying, hey, build the tabernacle like this. Use this kind of cloth. Build the furniture like this. Overlay it with gold. Use this guy. He's a craftsman. I've put my spirit upon him to do this. You know, all these different things. Here's this law and that law. Here's what you need to do concerning property and slaves. Here's all these different things. It's a little bit of a boring read, except when you understand where it's at, where it's happening. It's in the cloud. It's in the glory cloud of God. And Moses is in this place of glory for 40 days. And while he is in this place of glory, the people that he's leading have begun to give up on him. They don't know what's happened to him. They see the mountain on fire, and they think that he's been consumed. And in Exodus 32, they go to Aaron, and they say, make for us a God. And I'm sure you're asking, what does this have to do with worship? Listen, it's important that God works out our worship issues before we get into the promises that he has for us. Because as believers especially, our worship is contingent, I'm sorry, the harvest is contingent upon our worship. All right? This might be a little bit more of a difficult word this week. It's not as fun, but we'll get into it. Our worship is vital in what God wants to do because God moves through the worship of his people. More than that, the blessings of God move through the worship of His people. God had a promise, an inheritance for them. 
but they didn't know how to worship him. They didn't do it right. If we're going to walk into our promise and our inheritance, we have to do it right. Is that fair? Is that fair? All right, don't pull back on me now. You listening? You got it? All right. All right, you guys get quiet. I'm going to freak out. All right. Now, to be fair, the Israelites did not know all that God required of them at this point. Okay? God had not yet articulated that to them. He was telling Moses so that Moses could tell them. God had wanted to speak to the people directly, but they didn't want to hear his voice. They were afraid of him. So they said, God, you talk to Moses, and we'll listen to Moses. So God's operating in the way that the people requested of him because he's a good God. And so as he's downloading all this information to Moses, the people lose heart. They lose hope. They think Moses is gone. They, say, they go to Aaron, and they say, make for us a God. When I was thinking about this this week, what jumped out at me was they took the gold that they had carried out of Egypt. Remember, God allowed them to spoil the Egyptians like, a, like a, in a battle. You take the spoils of war. God allowed them to spoil the Egyptians on their way out. The Egyptians were handing them gold and silver and linen and silk, and they were saying, just get out. Take whatever you want, all right? And God, God did that. He put that upon their heart so that they would have what they needed. They could go in wealth to, to operate in what God had for them to do. So they took what God had given them, the gold, out of their ears. They took the gold that God had given. And then they took the occasion that God had done for them, which was the exodus, the, the leading out of Egypt. And they went to Aaron and they said, make us a God. They took what God had done for them, and they took what God had given them, and they made it about them. You hear that? They took what God had given them and what he had done for them, and they made it about them. And I know that sounds crazy to think that someone could do that in that scenario. I cannot imagine seeing what they saw and then being willing to turn my back on the Lord that had done it. But we have to be careful. Because we, we can fall into the same trap as believers. We can fall into the same trap of saying that worship is really about what we get out of it instead of about what we bring to it or about what God wants to do with it. You with me? It's easy for us to worry about a song selection. And, I, and nobody has said this, so I'm not coming down on anybody, all right? Don't, don't think I'm addressing something that needs to be addressed. I'm not. It's, it's happened in the past. We had a gentleman in our church years ago, and he's dead now, so I can say this. Years ago, when he didn't like the song, he'd stand up and read his Bible. And that was the signal that he didn't like the song. And when he liked the song, he'd shut his Bible, put it under his arm, and he'd sing. The devil, man. It was terrible. And he was, he was not a nice guy. But regardless, that was the signal. Could you imagine coming into the presence of a holy God and saying to God, no, I don't like that. I don't like how that sounds. That's new. I don't like that. Or, young people, oh, that's old, man. That's an old song. I don't like that old song. We do that too. I've done that. It's foolish. It's immature. We shouldn't do that. But to come into the presence of, of Almighty God, who has done great things for us, unspeakable things for us, and to come into the presence of God and then to try to dictate to God what He must do with His presence in his house because we showed up and we want something. So the trap is still there. And we are not called to fall into that trap, church, and we don't. And, and again, I'm not calling anything out that needs to be called out. What I'm saying is we have to guard ourselves that we don't go there. 
Is that, is that fair? We have to make sure that as we go forward in worship, that we keep worship what it ought to be. That we keep God where He ought to be. At the top of the stack, the number one spot, the preeminence in all things. And if He wants to use worship, however He wants to use it, then Lord, it's you, it's yours, you do it. It's not up to me. I was talking to somebody last week and we were talking about worship and word. And the person said, you know, people like high worship in church, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. They like high worship in church, but really it's the Word that transforms. And that's absolutely true. It's the Word of God that spoke into nothing and made something. It's the Word of God that brings life. It was the Word of God that became flesh, not the songs of God. It's absolutely true. However, do you know why most people love high worship in church? Because it's the only place they get it. It's the only place they get it. And that's what I shared in the conversation. We don't worship the Lord on our own. And then when we come together and we experience the presence of God like we did today already, in the simplest way, through the simplest songs, we experience that and it feels good. Doesn't it feel good to be in God's presence? Doesn't it feel good when you come in off a long week, a rough week, a rough morning, and you feel that presence envelop you? And you feel it come alive in those words that you're singing. And it's, it feels like home, amen? It feels like home in His presence because we live so much of our life outside of His presence. But it's easy to get into His presence and then to say to God, God, if it's not touching me or not moving me, it must be you instead of it being us. Is that fair? I'll say this. I've done that. I've said that in roundabout ways. I've said that to the Lord. God, man, God, if they can just get to the next song, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. But worship isn't about us. It's not about you or I. It's not about the songs that we love, the songs that move us. Thank God for the songs that move us. I've got some go-tos, I'll be honest. There are some things I pull out when I'm in a rough time. There's a song years ago from Hillsong United called With Everything. With everything, with everything, we will shout for your glory. With everything. And that song means so much to me because in 2008, my wife and I went to a concert of theirs. And 2008, was a, it was a rough season. It was a rough time. We'd experienced some loss in the church and close people that we loved. And we were hurting. And with all of that hurt, I remember standing in that auditorium and, and, and praising as hard as I could and saying, God, with everything, with everything that's going on in me, with everything that's happening in my mind, I will shout for your glory. I will shout forth your praise. That matters. Don't lose that. I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm not saying those are bad things. Those things are meant to take you back. When those people heard the song of Moses, they should go back to what it felt like right after the Red Sea had closed. They should go back to that moment of great victory. And we should too. But it's not all about that. It's not all about that. Worship in this setting, in this corporate setting, as a collection of believers, is about God being God and doing what He wants to do among His people. It is about nothing else. It's not about us crying or being moved or falling in the floor or being prayed for. It's not even about our needs. And I mean that with respect because I know there's a lot of needs going on. 
But worshiping God is not about coming up to Him and saying, God, I need this. Jesus, when He instructed us to pray, He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. He did not say, Our Father which art in heaven, here's what I need. But oftentimes, that's what we come with first. Here's what I need. And that's what the people did in Exodus 32. They went to Aaron and they said, Make us a God that we can follow. We need somebody to follow. We want to go forward, but we need somebody to follow that we, that we can see and touch. We don't know what's happened to Moses and this God that sent him. We don't know. And we can fall into the same trap if we're not careful. But I want to make sure that as a church we are careful. That we understand that the worship is not about our encounters or our needs or our chills and our thrills. Worship is not about us. It's about God and His working. It's about creating an atmosphere where God can be God in the earth. That's what it's about. When you go home and you worship, that's what it's about there. Amen? Not even just here. There. It's about you coming before God and you saying, God, I humble myself. You do and be what you want to do and be. God, you are number one. You are supreme. And I want to make sure that our focus remains in worship, what it ought to be, that we are called to humble ourselves. It's interesting, the word worship in Hebrew and in Greek implies a bowing down. And in fact, the very first mention in Hebrew of the word worship, it actually, I think it's Genesis 18, it actually is translated as bowed down. It's when Abraham encountered God and the two angels on their way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he sees them from his tent and he knows somehow that it's God. And it says he runs from the tent and he, he bows himself down before them. That word becomes the word for worship. Worship is a humbling of ourselves while it, it, it simultaneously exalts God. Amen? I go down while he goes up. I go low and he remains high. Amen? He remains high above all things. That's what worship is. In the Greek, it's the same way, except there's a little bit of a caveat. The Greek word proskuno, and it means to kiss the hand like a dog licks its master's hand. How many people have dogs? All right. You know what? You know when the dog, you get home, the dog comes up, especially little dogs. They come up, and they come up, and they go for your hand. Your hand reaches out first, and that's what they go for, and they just lick and love on it and all that, and then they come closer, don't they? Amen? That's worship. It's adoration. It's, it's homage, right? That's what worship is. That's all it's meant to be. It's not anything about us at all. But what's cool is, is that when we worship, God does what He wants to do. When we worship, God occupies the seat that He is supposed to occupy. And when He occupies that seat, that is supreme and preeminent, when he occupies that place in the house and in your house, when he occupies that place, he occupies it as God. And he can do as he wishes to do. So worship is about humbling ourselves. Yeah, raise your hands without wrath or doubting. Absolutely. Cry your tears if the Spirit moves upon you. And there's, there's so, God's so good. There's such a, a graceful overflow in the presence of God. Amen? That we come in, and, and we come in, and we got all this stuff going on, and God is here to be worshipped, yes, but even while we're worshipping Him, He chooses to reach down and to touch. And He chooses to reach down and to heal sometimes. 
And He chooses to let us cry it out a little bit when we need to. Amen? He chooses to wrap His arms around us. That's not why we're there. That shouldn't be why we're here. If we're not careful, though, it will become why we're here. But it's not about that. Jesus promised, Jesus promised in John 12, that if He would be lifted up, He would draw all men unto Himself. Can I tell you, the only way that we will reap a harvest that touches every family in this house and every family in this community, the only way is if every time we gather, not just in the 11 o'clock, but in the 9 o'clock too, if every time we gather, we gather to worship and adore Him. We gather to humble ourselves and worship Him, to lower us and lift up Him. Amen? It's the only way we can create an atmosphere where God can reach out and touch those that are untouchable and save those that we see as unsavable. It's the only way. If He be lifted up, He said, I will draw all men unto me. Therefore, church, our job every Sunday is to lift Him up. Every Sunday. And I'll tell you, if you go home and you lift him up, it won't be long before you see him drawing your children and your grandchildren and your neighbors. Lift him up first. And then if you feel compelled by the Holy Spirit in you to ask for something, then ask. But always start by lifting him up and lowering yourself. Make it about him. And then maybe... As we get about his business, he'll get into our business. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.